welcome to the Wharton Fintech podcast. I'm your host Taran Gupta and our guest today is Ben Varshwara, co-founder and chief investment officer of Treasure Financial. Ben has more than 15 years of experience in the financial services industry, starting his career in London with Morgan Stanley, followed by 10 years at Peter Thiel's hedge fund and family office as a portfolio manager. Ben earned a BS in economics and an MS in finance from UCL Belgium, a MS in statistics from the University of Chicago, and was a PhD candidate at the University of Toronto. Join me as we explore the origin story of Treasure, how an organization's cash balance can drive profitability, how to navigate a heavily regulated space as a startup, and why comfort can be detrimental to a person's progress. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey Ben, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It's amazing hey. to have you here. Hey Tarang, likewise, super excited to be uh, talking to you. I'm a avid listener to the podcast, so good to be on the uh, other side for once. So, how are you, and where are you calling from? Uh, great, um, doing great today. Calling from the beautifully overcast San Francisco today. Very excited about uh, doing the podcast and and talking to you. Awesome. All right, I'll just dive right in. For our listeners who may not know of your background, could you give an overview of your career and how you got involved in fintech? Yeah, of course. So I am originally from Belgium, uh, French speaking, and it's my uh, my accent. Uh, came to the US uh, for grad school. After that, did a, a quick stint at Morgan Stanley uh, on their fixed income trading floor. So I have a big background in in banking. And then after that, after a quick detour in graduate school. Uh, end up working for Pirtil Hedge Fund and family office managing uh, money for him. So I have basically a big uh, a big background in in capital markets. And actually, my path towards fintech uh, is interesting. I was I tended to be a little bit skeptical of, of fintech at the beginning, um, like that was around like 2010 during the the peer to peer boom, P two P boom, which was I think one not super super interesting. I was always concerned about also the uh, potential for regulation in fintech and and what would happen and then to be frank i think i was kind of like taking the terrible financial product for granted and didn't realize of the opportunity which was there um and then as i kind of like spend more time looking at fintech and as the, the the sector as a whole progressed then i basically like i mean started to appreciate what was fintech bringing um the ability of like like bringing a much better customer service the ability of fintech of answering better answering the uh, the customer financial needs and also i think my understanding of basically being able to use regulation and not see regulation as an enemy but also use use regulation as as an ally and being able to navigate through it and i think basically the the full journey and like like full conversion towards uh, fintech was basically the realization that we can use automation to provide better customization and also much better financial services and i think that's what really really excited me about uh, about fintech so talk to me about treasure financial and the services the company offers including liquid sense yeah so basically what treasure do uh, we provide treasury management as a service um so basically we give access to businesses to the same type of financial tools that fortune 500 companies deploy within their uh, treasury uh, and finance department so if you take a step back 
all those large companies, large corporations are using their finances as a source of, of revenue. And the Treasury Department is very much in charge of that monetization. To give you some example, a company like Apple, 10% of their profit is being generated by their Treasury Department. Actually, their Treasury Department is so big, I think they manage now close to like 100 billion that they've like spun out like a quasi hedge fund, which helped them very much monetize uh, the cash which is sitting on the balance sheet. But that like, I mean, that monetization also applies to other companies like, like Airbnb. It's sitting on like lower, large area of float. I think at some point, like 30% of the revenue was coming from their treasury management. Even like a, a more like traditional company like uh, ADP, uh, the payroll processor, 20% of their earnings is coming from the treasury department. So if you look at treasury department, it is a real profit generator for a corporation. And what treasury do is enabling businesses to get access to that profit generating engine without the cost and without the burden of having this big department in-house. So practically, if you look at what Treasure does, so we have a platform where a customer can connect all their bank account to their business bank account, and then very much seamlessly move their money between their bank into their Treasure Reserve account. We have multiple different allocation uh, with uh, multiple different liquidity profile, also uh, different um, risk profile too, to very much tailor an allocation which fits to the customer need and then enable the customer to be monetizing their finance. And then so for like the, like you mentioned about LiquidSense, which is our AI engine, um, we are basically using that AI engine to amplify what we are able to do uh, with our treasury management in terms of yield generation and, and customer services. Could you dive deeper into treasury's business model and also touch upon how you manage liquidity with risk and returns? Yeah, sure. So basically, your business model uh, couldn't be simpler. We charge a small management fee on the asset that we manage for a customer. So that it's super easy, super transparent uh, for the customer too. So we don't have a five-page schedule of fees like bank would have uh, on our side. Our business model is completely transparent and also fully aligned with the customer. They come to us to generate revenue from their auto cash. We generate that that revenue and we just charge uh, a small uh, a small fee on it. Um, related to high return and, and managing risk, um, liquidity, safety, and compliance is super uh, important to us. Uh, we are registered as an RA, which means like so, registered investment advisor, we, which means we are regulated by the SEC, and that means that we have fiduciary responsibility, um, which basically means putting our customer best uh, interest uh, first. Again, so like we are fully aligned with the customer. An interesting tidbit to know about that, banks actually don't have a fiduciary responsibility, uh, which I find completely odd, but somehow they were able to not be uh, uh, subject to that. So again, on our side, fully aligned with our customer. We are not a bank. Uh, We are, like as I mentioned, a financial advisor for those businesses. And then if you look at like take a step back and look in, in terms of like first principle, um, what differentiates us compared to a bank is that essentially like the three main tasks of a bank is move money, hold money, and lend money, right? It's like bank might be like decent at moving money. They could be like decent at 
lending money, but in terms of like holding money, they actually do like do a terrible job in terms of maintaining the purchasing power of that money or like generating a yield. And the reason for that is because banks are disincentivized to provide any yield on their customer balance uh, because their customer balance is a funding cost for the bank. So they constantly want to minimize that. Um, So that's why if you leave your cash at the bank, you end up with a very, very poor yield and, and a poor service. And that's very much what treasure like flip upside down, where our business model is to generate money um, for customer uh, idle cash. And we are doing that in a fully compliant way by also focusing a lot on very liquid product, which enhance the safety that we provide for those businesses and What kind of businesses are the biggest users of Treasure's offerings? Is it like Series A startups or is it like pre-IPO or post-IPO companies? Yeah, so there's a wide range. Our current uh, main customer focus is around like seed all the way to Series D um, startup. Um, The service that we provide is completely automated, completely scalable, um, so we can easily um, provide that services in terms like treasure management and, and cash balance optimization for a company which has $100,000 in idle cash uh, all the way to like 50 to like 100 million. We have built automation and scalability, which enable us to cater to a wide range of audience. And at the moment, we're very much focusing in the on the startup side because they tend to be early adopters. And most of those startups are actually building technology uh, which make them interested to being able to implement um, a new technology to help them better manage uh, their cash. What is a vision for Treasure? And do you feel that the recent economic uncertainty impacted these plans in any way? Yeah, so interesting way, the current environment is providing a huge tailwind uh, to our business. Uh, one, because you now, as we have seen, there is a focus on optimization. VC has moved a little bit away from growth at all costs towards more like resource optimization. That's very much where Treasure fits like nicely in. Like we basically provide a tool for the customer to being able to generate a new revenue stream. And we do that at zero cost for the customer. So it's very much like a tool for them to optimize their finances. So that's one thing. Then secondly, in terms of like the macroeconomic environment, the move higher in inflation and also the reaction of the Fed, which has been pushing interest rate much higher, is actually a huge boon for us because now there is much more opportunities in terms of um, how we can deploy our customer cash in different type of like fixed income product. Um, and, and also that basically has been increasing the impact that we can have for each of the customer uh, balance sheet and revenue. So like just to give you an idea, like I mean, we are like helping, like I mean, customer now like making like a million, like more than a million dollars per year. Uh, and in, like actually, an interesting tidbit about that is that uh, recently one of our customers reached out to us because we have actually been able to improve their finances by more than ten percent. And it literally that customer zero money, and it took him ten minutes to onboard on our platform. So it's like a nice free lunch for him uh, to being able to being able to make much more on their uh, idle cash and also massively improve uh, their finances. And no expansion or growth is possible without the right people. Is Treasure currently hiring? If yes, what is that you look for in people? 
Yeah, no, yeah, definitely. We are like, I mean, on the back of the growth that we are seeing, uh, we are like expanding uh, uh, a lot. Um, so very much the area of focus, like our like our sales team, our product team, and and our engineering team. That's where we are putting a a lot of emphasis, and we have already brought on uh, some really great hire uh, this year. When we'll continue to uh, to do that, in terms of like the type of of person um, who we want to uh, work with, I would say like the Two main attributes are people value candor and, and curiosity. So very much want to work with people uh, which uh, who have like a, a willingness to uh, to challenge things and also being challenged. I think on top of that, and just like taking a step back, I think for me as a co-founder, I take a lot of pride in like in terms of like the personal growth of each of the employee that we have on board. And that's like something like I'm definitely super happy seeing like the team growing and also the personal growth uh, of each of our uh, employee. And that's a big reward uh, every day when I uh, go to the office and, and seeing that, that development and that knowledge uh, being increased. Another side to growth is investment or funding. So we know Treasury is backed by some great investors. What is that you look for when you onboard an investor and what do you think is the is the value proposition of treasure for these investors yeah so i think on 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 that so what matter like beyond beyond just raising some money i think one thing which is uh, super important is bringing the right type of investor like the other investor which understand very well the problem we are trying to tackle which has like domain expertise and, and which is like fully aligned with what the company is doing. And also I think what is important to understand is that I think for at each stage of the company, different type of investor can add some value. And for us, what is important is for each of the funding raise that we are doing, each have a specific goal. And the idea is to bring some investor which will be able to provide some like tailwind to unlock those type of goals. Uh, so for example, like in terms of like, at the beginning, it was more like towards like hiring the right type of executive. As we keep growing now, it's just like unlocking partnership. Um, and I think these are like the different stages of the growth. And I think what is important is beyond just like getting some money on our balance sheet, it's just finding the right type of VC, which is going to be adding some value for the specific goals we intend to reach with that, uh, with that raise. Switching over to your journey, right? What inspired you to leave a career in public uh, markets? Like you were part of the Peter Thiel family office and you had a great position there. Then what inspired you to leave all that and become an entrepreneur? Yeah, so I've always had like a deep passion, uh, as you mentioned, for like capital market. Uh, fixed income market is definitely something that I've kept like a keen, uh, a keen interest in. When I was uh, involved in public market, I basically got to talk to people in, in treasury department and like people who are like involved in the field. I basically realized when I was like talking to those people is that treasury management was completely overlooked in terms of innovation. That is definitely true for Fortune 500 company. That is even more true for, uh, for businesses where basically most business, like most businesses don't even have, have a treasury uh, department because they cannot really afford to have one. I think more also interestingly, I think most of the people in the capital market would tend to 
overlook like the treasury department like i think a lot of like people might be uh, might be thinking that it's that feels actually a little bit boring but in my mind that's what makes it the uh, the appeal of, of this sector because as i mentioned completely com- massively overlooked in term of in, in term of, like technology and also um, in term of product and i think what that creates is that it's basically there is like a vast pool of of capital which is completely underutilized and and my my switch from like capital market to like fintech is very much like helping that pool of capital and helping those customers getting access to the right type of of product right type of financial product which create a really like a huge opportunity so like just to put like some number in the back of like what I'm talking about at the moment there is more than 2 trillion of cash sitting in a business Check a checking account. So and that that deposit has increased like ten times since 2010. So there's like huge opportunity, both in terms of like size, also in terms of like the type of product that we can build. Uh, and then by like I mean like like the more I started to look at like this this market, the more of the appeal I found, and and that made the switch a quasi no brainer. And what have been some of your biggest challenges and key learnings in your journey as an entrepreneur so far? Yeah, I think the biggest challenges is that challenges are constantly evolving. The type of challenges we had when two, like two and a half years ago, uh, when the company was much smaller, is completely different like, than, than the type of challenges that we have now. So I think for me, the biggest challenge is to always being able to look around the corner and get an understanding of what type of challenges we're going to be facing and how those challenges are like morphing to enable us to take decision ahead of time and also bring the right type of people who are going to be able to help us facing those challenges. So in my mind, yeah, like the biggest challenge is that challenges are constantly evolving and they are like uh, morphing into some newer, uh, newer things. I would also love to get your take on the fintech industry overall. Do you see any trends that you feel are really going to shape the industry in the next two to five years? Yeah, so couple of like area I feel are super interesting. One is anything related to data backed credit origination, both at the like on the consumer side, also business side. I think that's that is super uh, interesting. Using data to offer credit origination for me, it's a no brainer. It's definitely super applicable in the US. Also, we've been talking to some awesome companies in Africa, in in Asia, and seeing like how technology can really help. The origination and and the growth of those um, of those country, given like credit is a big backbone of economic growth. So that's one thing. Anything related to KYC, KYB, so like know your customer, know your business. I think detecting bad actor ahead of time makes each participant safer, but also adds a nice like externality of like making the entire industry much much safer. So if you think about KYC and KYB being like tall. On like for ramp to get like on the on the fintech highway, having a really really good KYC and KYB process can make the entire industry much uh, much stronger and 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 much better. And I think lastly, one thing I, I find it's also super interesting is any type of like new bank which is emerging uh, and being fully backed by uh, API. Like a good example of that would be Column Bank. I think there is a huge scope of redefining the way bank works. Um, I think originally banks were built around moving money. And I think what matter now is beyond money is data and how, de- like how banks are able to 
ingest and and move data around much more uh, than uh, much more than money any segments of the fintech industry that you think are overcrowded or overhyped right now yeah i have like a few in mind like the first one are neobanks pretty bearish on that i view it just as an interesting wrapper most of them are not profitable uh, like very poor unit economics also massively constrained by their partner bank um pretty i think it was like it's an interesting development, but given the constraint that they have to operate with, it will never be being able to fulfill its real value. So much more believe, like much stronger believer in like uh, banks by backed by uh, by API, uh, which obviously is much more difficult, uh, but I think potentially much more rewarding in terms of as a business and also in terms of, like the service which can be provided to the customer. Talking to a service to customer, uh, another. Uh, sector I'm pretty bearish on is anything related to payment for order flow, brokerage, not to name it, but like Robinhood, not sure what gamification of trading brings to the world and brings to the cons- like customer. We know that like 90% of the, the people trading online are not profitable. So I don't really view like see like a lot of like utility in that type of services. In a similar way to a different sector, um, anything related to buy now, pay later, not sure also what it's bringing. Probably good product for businesses to like sell their goods, uh, but not so a great product for the end consumer. Again, not sure what is the real value add. Some people might, like, might be arguing that it's helping underbanked people to get to build a credit score and get access to credit. Uh, but again, it's like, I mean, on that, like the data is definitely not, not backing that up. And what is just pushing, it's just pushing to people to get in more, into more debt, which I think is very questionable. And I think lastly, anything related to like FICO score or generalized like score like that, pretty bearish on, I think goes back to my thesis on data backed credit origination. I think, um, that is much more, uh, a much better and interesting field than, than those big, uh, those big ag- agency. Uh, which are like very monolithic. For the last segment of the interview, what I like to do is introduce you more as a person to the listeners. So I'll have a rapid fire round of questions. Shoot. Oh, what is a fun fact about you that most people don't know? Uh, like I think like I might have two. So one is I have a collection of more than a thousand records of like vinyls, uh, ranging from jazz to like hip hop to like house music and also enjoy uh, swimming here uh, in the bay. If you could have dinner with anyone, who would it be? I think if I could have like a dinner with anyone and I have completely freedom of choice, I would go with Seneca, the Greek philosopher. Uh, And the reason why I would be interested to uh, have a dinner with him would be to uh, have his perspective on the current world and 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 also being able to talk to him about like how similar it is to ancient Greece and and how like human nature has changed or hasn't really changed and how similar we are to uh, uh, people who lived uh, at that that point in time. That's a very interesting pick. I like it, but I think you might face some language barrier there. <laughs> yeah. We'll use Google Translate for that. <laughs> Hopefully, it support ancient Greek. One more feature to add now. Yeah, exactly. So as I understand, you are a very analytical person, right? You like to see data and understand and take decisions accordingly. Yeah. But when we are taking decisions about 
our career or our, or, or our lives, we don't always have that information to go on. So what are some of these leaps of faith that you have made in your career so far? Yeah, interesting question. I personally like never view the, like those big decisions as the leap of faith. I'm just like, view them as like seizing opportunities. Um, I think we definitely don't necessarily control the outcome, but we can definitely control the process. And if I were to look back, is I would just definitely push people at seizing those free options which are like available. Um, like for example, like applying, like when I was in, in Belgium looking for like graduate school, just like applying to some schools like outside of Europe and see what happened, right? Like, I mean, that is like technically a, a free option. The same way as before uh, joining Peter Thiel Hedge Fund, I also sent my resume to a bunch of like other people and like because I was interested to be in touch and see what was out there and then like out of luck, Peter replied to my email and then like all that just transformed into like a really cool uh, 10 year journey with him. So we just like push people to, you don't really control the outcome, but you can definitely control the process and take advantage of those, all those free options, which have very marginal and, and low cost. If you could go back in time, let's say 10 years, is there anything that you would do differently? Or if you could meet your younger self, what advice would you give the young Ben? Yeah, great question. I think one thing I would do is move faster. I, for example, stayed too long in academia. I th- like I have like three masters and also started a PhD. It's completely crazy. I, I could have like started working like way earlier. Same thing with my tenure with Peter, like spent 10 years there. Like it was like awesome. Could have like probably changed direction a little bit earlier. Um, and I feel it's always like, I mean, definitely it's been like the truth for me. It's like always hard to change. By the time you feel you might want to change, uh, it means like you should have like changed like two years ago. Uh, so I think that's like one big, uh, one big, big takeaway. It's basically moving faster, making decisions faster. Another thing is definitely like networking more and talking to people to learn new things. Not for just the sake of networking and increasing my uh, a Rolodex, but much more to get to gain firsthand experience in terms of what other people are facing, other industry, like, and then basically being able to accumulate those insight to inform my career next step. So these are like two, I think, two interesting takeaway that I would tell uh, my uh, my younger self. My last question for today is. What does success look like for you and for Treasure? Where do you see yourself and where do you see Treasure in, let's say, 10 years from now? Yeah, awesome question. So on that, I think already like Treasure is a massive success. Um, if I like look at the at the data, we are already deep into like the nine-figure number in terms of money that we manage and we op- just opened to the public at the beginning of this year. We are literally growing like three to four times faster than Wealthfront when they, when they started. So it's already... A great, uh, a great success. If I were to like project that more like into like the uh, the ten year and, and looking ahead, our like treasure north star metric is the the amount of dollar earned for, by um, our customer. So I would love to see that number uh, keep increasing, uh, and by that basically helping business becoming more uh, resilient and more efficient. If I were to put a number, like I would, it would be awesome to being able to have generate more than 1 billion extra income for a customer. So that's, I think, what I would define as a success 
for uh, for Treasurer, giving back that one billion to those uh, all those businesses which are using us. I think personally, I think it would be great to IPO. I mean, given my background in in, in capital markets, I literally grew up watching uh, CNBC. I would love to being able to uh, ring the bell at the uh, NYC. So that would be like a nice uh, cherry uh, on top. Much for that answer, Ben, and thank you so much for joining us today. It was great to have you on the show. Tarang, it was a real pleasure to talk to you. I really enjoyed those great questions, and it was really, really fun. So I hope uh, the listener enjoyed it too. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the What in Fintech podcast. If you like the show, then please show us some love on social media or consider leaving a review. It means a lot to us and helps spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast and find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Medium at Wharton Fintech. There you will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. As always, special thanks to our editor, Rafael Osteria. Signing off until next time, I'm your host, Tarang Gupta. Gupta.